Curiosity. I'm Abigail. On this episode, I have Raquel Blom, the Client Support Services Director at the Hope Pregnancy Center in Ontario, Oregon. Raquel has worked there since 96, which happens to be the same year that I was born, but don't let that remind you of how young I am. Anyway, we talk about infertility adoption and all that the Hope Pregnancy Center does for women in all their different stages of pregnancy and post-birth as well as post-abortion care. Happy listening. Okay, so where were you born? I was born in Hermiston, Oregon. Okay. Because my dad was shearing sheep in that area. So that's where he was working at the time. So that's where I was conceived and born. (laughs) (laughs) And this is my husband's question. How the crap did you end up in Ontario? Oh, okay. Ontario was the stinky town that we drove through from where I grew up mm-hmm. to uh, Boise. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is the worst town ever in Eastern Oregon. So working in Ontario now, I just think, oh my goodness, how did I end up here? Actually, my husband got a job in Payette. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a civil engineer. And uh, so when he graduated, he was putting out resumes in Boise and Portland and Seattle. And he said, there's a job opening in Payette, Idaho. And I'm like, there's nothing in Payette, Idaho. There can't be an engineering firm in Payette, Idaho. And we've been here ever since. So, yeah. yeah. So what was your upbringing like? I grew up on a cattle ranch. And sheep, I assume. We had sheep. Yeah, my, my grandpa was a, they had a huge sheep operation through the 30s 40s 50s and in the 60s they converted to cattle and so my dad when we left Hermiston went back to Richland Oregon and that's where I grew up on a little tiny ranch in a really tiny town with no not even a blinking light so yeah wow how many brothers and sisters do you have I have an older brother and a younger sister so I am the quintessential middle child (laughs) you act like a middle oh totally totally i'm in what is it enneagram nine i'm the peacemaker (laughs) (laughs) do you always feel like you're not getting enough attention i don't think so i'm more like i want to make sure everybody else is Mm. happy so i don't like i don't like uh conflict i don't like i want to make everybody be at peace yeah yeah when did you meet John? We met in 1990 in Santa Cruz, California. We were on a project with what well, was Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now Crew. Hmm. So yeah, Fun. and yep. So we, I didn't like him <laughs> first. <laughs> My first impression of him was not good, but he. Uh, Do you know what you didn't like? Um, well, we were in a room full of introverted people who would not talk. And so my husband doesn't like, he didn't like to leave the leaders hanging when they would ask questions. So nobody else would answer. And so he would answer. And at the end of the evening, I thought, well, he just like hogged the whole conversation. Oh, (laughs) so interesting. But I didn't know that everybody else in the room were extreme introverts. He's an introvert, but they were like not talking. And so my husband felt bad for the Bible study leader because he would ask questions and people would just, it was like crickets, you know? (laughs) And so my first impression was not good, but, um, plus he had an earring 
and he wore flip flops and because at the time he was Man, three living, strikes yeah he was living <laughs> in southern california and i was like oh he's such a surfer dude but we went out for pie with a group and found out he grew up on a dairy farm in jerome idaho and i'm like oh okay we have something in common wow so yeah, yeah. Huh. yep that's so funny yeah so how long did you date before you got married we well so funny story so we met in june and I actually had a steady boyfriend at the time. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, but I was kind of, kind of using that summer to run away or figure it out if this was where I wanted to go with life and mm-hmm. met John and I wasn't, so I wasn't looking for a boyfriend at all, but we would just stay up. We were in, a, we had taken over a, a motel because that's what you do on a summer project. Mm-hmm. And we would sit out in the courtyard and drink tea and talk all just like first person I'd ever met that I could just talk for hours. And we'd like look at the clock like we had to go to bed because we had to work in the morning. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, we so that we met in June. By August, we were pretty sure like, OK, this is this is the one. And so he proposed in. Wait, but what happened to the steady boyfriend in the middle? Uh, I think I missed I that. I went home in August and broke up with him, oh. and it was awful. Yeah, I bet was, he wasn't happy. He was, it was really bad. But I introduced him, or I encouraged him to date a girl, and they ended up getting married and having, like, four kids. And Wow. Yeah. So I broke up with him in August, and John kind of did a lame proposal in December over the phone. Oh. And I said, no, no, you're not going to propose to me over the phone. <laughs> so in February, got done at my knee, and then we got married the next August. So we actually, from the time we met to the time we got married, we'd known each other 14 months, 13 months. That's like pretty that. fast. Yeah, it was. He knew right away. Oh. He was like, yeah, hmm. yeah. What did he like about you? Um, I don't know. I think because I wasn't a drama queen. Mm-hmm. You know, and even mm-hmm. though I I did have some tendencies, because <laughs> you know at that age, but uh, but he was not into game playing and all mm-hmm. of that. So, yeah. So you adopted a couple kids. Yeah, yeah, and that was because you could not have your own. We could not have our own. Do you know whose fault it is? Um, it was mine because I have severe endometriosis. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so we had some surgery. Can you explain that to me like I'm five? So basically it is where the endometrial tissue uh, grows outside of the uterus and it attaches. So I have a lot of tissue on my ovaries is where it was very much focused. And so it's just very hard to get pregnant with that. How long before you found out that was the problem? Um, we tried for a year and then we tried, we started kind of down that path of at that time, you know, there's so many more advancements now, but it was, you know, the mid nineties. So at the time they, they would put you on really high, terrible, horrible drugs. I would never go on now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was on that for way too long, but that didn't work. Um, and then they did a, just exploratory type surgery, laparoscopy, and they saw what was going on in there and they, they basically burn some of that tissue off. It's yeah. Yeah. Which will later lead to scarring. 
So you have just this little bit of time to try to get pregnant. And so we did some more infertility type drugs. We, we basically went all the way through and exhausting all the routes up to um, in vitro fertilization. Hmm. And we prayed about that and that we just were like, no, that's not really what hmm. we feel like the Lord's having us do. But you adopted two kids from South Korea. Yeah. Should we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. That's really yeah. fun. Yeah. So we have uh, our oldest, Kyle. How old is Kyle? 22? Yeah. He's 22. And then Corey is 19. She's... What was it like raising adopted kids? Do you think that you have really specific challenges? Um, You know, it's interesting because in the last few weeks, I've really had time to really think about it because we have... Um, we have relatives who've adopted through the foster system and they're having a lot of issues with those kids and they're really questioning. In fact, they asked me a couple weeks ago, like, do you regret ever adopting? Cause that's where they are. They're just really struggling mm-hmm. with their kids. I mean, they're a couple of them are really off the rails. So we, I, you know, I, I, I told them no, <laughs> because I really feel like God called us to adopt. And so, I mean, it was very clear. The last procedure we went through, we're in the exam room and we were praying and I prayed, not our, not my will, but yours be done. And I opened my eyes and I told John, I said, we're not, this is not, this procedure is not going to work. I said, the Lord's calling us to adopt. And I had been so anti-adoption. I was like, I, I just was like, no, I don't, I want my kids to look like me. I want my kids, (laughs) you know, I want to see, you know, I want to hear my husband's laughter in my kid or see those dimples or, you know, all of those things that you have dreams for, right. Of, of seeing your progeny have that reflection of you And so you have to go through that morning of letting that kind of die. And so that's a process. You know, it's not like just, you know, people would say, oh, you should just adopt. And I just looked at him like, yeah, that's great for you. You have five beautiful children who look just like you, you know, and like it was like no big deal, you know. Mm -hmm. And so God had to cultivate that um, heart of adoption in my heart and John's, you know, and it was really hard. You know, we had to, I had to go through a lot of hard nights of laying there going, my poor husband, because it's me, right? And so, you know, we had to work through those issues. And and he had to really affirm to me, I love you. And, you know, we're in this together and and not holding the fact that I couldn't conceive against me, you know, that Mm -hmm. you have to work through that too. So, so yeah, so adoption is a process of really letting God give you that calling. I think it is a calling. And so when that relative asked me that, it was like, I didn't doubt it for a minute, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that God's called us to that. And it's not been easy. You know, my, my kids both have learning challenges and different struggles that they've had. And yet I know God gave them to me to raise and, and they were supposed to be in my home. And so that's such a, a picture of, you know, how God adopts us that they didn't have a choice. I mean, they don't get to see parents who look like them, mm-hmm. you know, and so there's that grieving that they go through too of, you know, Kyle, not so much, but Corey, definitely, mm. you know, I, I'm sure she would love to 
see what her mom's eyes look like or, you know, those kinds of things. So there's, there's, there's a loss there for both of us, but at the same time, there's a beauty and adoption of it's, it's a connection on a deeper level than biological. Did that answer your question? It did. (laughs) So we could probably get to the Hope Pregnancy Center, which is really why you're here. So what is the Hope Pregnancy Center? So Hope Pregnancy Center started in Ontario, Oregon. In 1986, probably a lot like a lot of pregnancy centers across the nation were starting up in response to um, the abortion issue. And so a bunch of Christians in that area wanted to reach out to women in unplanned pregnancy situations Mm -hmm. and help them navigate that decision. And so um, it's it's evolved over the years. It's definitely not what the ministry was in 86 or when I started in 96. Um, it's now, uh, really meeting the needs, um, of confirming a pregnancy, which, so we have a nurse on, on staff. And, um, so women can come in and get a pregnancy verification form. They can, um, if they qualify, get an ultrasound so they can date their pregnancy sure that the pregnancy is developing in the uterus and then of course if they're contemplating the options that they have um, especially those considering um, abortion we're able to share with them research-based factual information with them physically spiritually emotionally Mm -hmm. and so that they can make an informed decision about their pregnancy sure so so how did you get involved there so that's a really good question. So I, I wanted to be in full-time ministry when John and I met. I was, of course, we were with Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, and I really thought that's kind of where I wanted to go, although my energy level for on-campus ministries would be really low because I'm more <laughs> of an introvert. So doing outreach things, that was a little bit out of my comfort zone. So I thought, well, I could be something behind the scenes, but I really wanted to be in full-time ministry. And so I, when we moved here, was involved in a Bible study and a couple of ladies were volunteering at the center and they said, oh, you should take the volunteer training. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I'm not really into pro-life ministry. I'm like, I just am like, that's great for you. But my idea of pro-life people at the time was the yellers and the screamers and the picketers, <laughs> you know, and I'm yeah. like, no, that was never my heart, you know. And so um, I didn't really understand the the philosophy behind the ministry. I didn't understand that it was evangelical, evangelical based. So they were sharing the gospel in word and deed. And so when I took the training, it was kind of eye opening to me. I'm like, oh, hey, this is really cool that... Um, it's gospel based and that was my heart. And then I was really eye opening to really understand what abortion was. Cause I really, you know, you heard it was a political term to me. It was, it, it was kind of out there really, you know, even though I have a bachelor's in biology <laughs> and I should understand what abortion is, I didn't understand spiritually and emotionally what it did to a woman, not just what it does to a fetus, but what it does to a woman. And that really touched my heart. For the ministry sure. so that so I started just as a volunteer and within a few months I was on staff because another staff person left and um, so that's how I got started okay so this is one of my questions that was supposed to be for later but it could be for now <laughs> <laughs> what 
What are the effects of abortion on a woman? So physically, physically, we don't have a lot of stats as far as like what, you know, there's always risks with, with abortion. There's medical abortion, which you've probably heard of RU46, those kinds of. No. Okay. So medical abortion is basically pills that chemicals, it's a chemical abortion, medical abortion. And those have different risks than your, than your, um, surgical type abortions where they're, they're going in and, um, vacuuming or scraping that kind of thing. So, so obviously, you know, with chemicals and hormones, there's effects on the body and we use all of our, you know, all of the information that we have, it's all fact-based. So it will give you the percentage of how many women experience bleeding, how many women experience, um, you know, just different, different physical aspects of that. But, um, so there are different physical effects and a lot of times the, other side will say, well, you guys exaggerate the physical effects on a woman. And that can tend to be true if you're not using fact-based information. So we use actually from the manufacturer of those drugs. This is what they say, um, you're, uh, of some of the side effects. And then with physical, um, surgical abortion, if you just think about what they're doing that that there could be a possibility of you know puncturing the uterus those kinds of things and those things are rare it's and we're not saying that that happens every time and that would happen but it can happen and we want a woman to know okay this can happen so so like when i went in to get a mole removed i had four pages of possible i mean it was a small mole on my face i had four pages of informed consent to sign like, I could have nerve damage, I could have this. Now, what was that, you know, what were the percentage of that? They didn't tell me, but they, they informed me, mm-hmm. you know, this is a surgical procedure, and you need to be informed of the risks. And so that's what I feel like women need to know. Okay, if I go in for this, I want to know what my risks are um, before I have that. And so that's part of what we do. So that's the physical the emotional risks, the psychological risks are, you know, such varied things that, um, it depends on her history. It depends on, is she, um, someone who tends to be depressed or have anxiety issues? Does she, if she's suffering from those things, she may have a higher percentage chance of developing post-traumatic stress disorder due to that it's a traumatic thing that happens i mean a woman is carrying a child yeah and she has to you know basically cut and sever that relationship with that baby in order to do that and and that's just not something that i think god designed women to do i think god designed women to carry a a life and so when we do something out of that there's going to be effects and you know i think some women definitely feel relief right after an abortion because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, shoot, I don't have this. I'm, this is great. I'm, I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to tell anybody. I can go on. Life can be normal again. And it will never be normal again. And, I mean, we've had women who, who said, I'm the strongest, toughest woman in the world. I never dealt with depression, never dealt with anxiety. And they had an abortion. And they said it was, it ate at them. And so it, 
you know, I think you can bury things for a long time. You can feel some relief, but I don't think you ever get over an abortion. And even those who are pro-abortion or pro-choice would say, yeah, definitely there's ramifications of that. And they're finally admitting that. So now what they're saying is that, well, you just get counseling for that. And Mm. I'm like, that's really hard. It's really hard for me. So I would imagine that it's similar, but worse to a miscarriage because that's still you're carrying a life and you'd get attached to it yeah but this you would have guilt because you know that you decided exactly it would be over yeah exactly and I think you know especially now with ultrasound and where we are you know back in the 70s they didn't have that they didn't have the ability to see how quickly their child was developing we all you know offer ultrasound to a woman and she actually can see what's developing in her uterus. Mm-hmm. And so now most of the time science will admit, yeah, that is a life. It's not just potential life. There's a life there. It's, you know, separate from different DNA material than the mom, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they can't say anymore. It's just a blob of tissue and not when you can see the profile of their face and exactly. their little noses and the fingers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the strategy now, I think, or the kind of the aim of the other side of this issue is that, yes, it's a life, but your life comes first. You know, your dreams come first. You come first and you get to decide how you want to live your life. And this shouldn't get in the way of what you want and and so that's what women are believing that's the lie that the enemy wants to give them is that this baby will get in the way of their dreams and their whatever they have planned for their life and that's just a lie because we've seen so many women who have had dreams that have still pursued those dreams have gone on and become nurses and doctors and lawyers um, as moms, you know, mm-hmm. Amy Comey Barrett, I mean, look at on the Supreme Court, yeah. she has children, you know, and yeah, it's hard. It, it, it may take you longer to get through school. It, it may take um, family members helping you babysit and, and take care of this little one. But to just say that child is this roadblock and not to see that this could actually be an opportunity to, to make your life even better and add more to your life. Um, I had a client tell me one time that her friends were like, well, you know, this child is, you've got so many other dreams to live and you've got this, you know, you want to travel the world and you want to do this. And she had this baby. She ended up placing this baby for adoption. And she said, Raquel, I just wanted to tell him that having a baby is the ultimate of anything that I've ever done, you know? And, and I didn't know that when I had this child, that, that being, a, being a mom, I mean, she was a birth mom, but she still was a mom. Mm-hmm. And she said that they have no idea how incredible it is to bring life into this world. And I thought that was really beautiful. I've always remembered what she had said about that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you guys offer support for women who have had abortions? Yeah. So we actually have a member on our staff who is post-abortive. 
who does counseling and actually then leads women through a healing and recovery Bible study program because we truly believe that God is the one who heals women. And it is a process. It is a rigorous, most of the women that go through it say, oh, I I felt like, I felt I was forgiven by God, but I really did not know how some of the attitudes, some of their actions and behaviors were because of that abortion, you know, how they projected into the lives of relationships with their spouse, with their own, with their children. Mm -hmm. So it's a really great program. Um, And we offer that to clients who, you know, when they leave, they say, well, I'm pretty much going to, I'm, I'm deciding to, I'm going to go through with this abortion and we let them know, okay, you know, that is totally your decision, but we're still here for you. You know, if you get down the road and it is getting really difficult and um, a lot of these women are numbing themselves with all kinds of things. And so we let them know we're here no matter what. I like that you are so unapologetically about the Bible. I like that. I could see some people trying to have qualms about trying to teach Bible studies as a PTSD treatment. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely, you know, uh, there's there are people gifted in counseling and therapy and all of those things. I think that's great. Um, but foundationally, God's the healer. And so if we go outside of his plan, I don't think, I think it, they're Band-Aids, you yeah. know. So. so how many people are on staff? Right now we have eight people on staff. Nice. Um, a lot are part, part-time. I'm very part-time. What exactly is your job there? So I do a couple of different things. So mainly my job is to take care of those who have decided they're going to carry to term and parent or look at adoption. Most of them are choosing to parent. And so we offer them a program called Earn While You Learn. So as they are learning about how to be a good mom, and we have dads too, they are earning in-house dollars so they can purchase things like diapers and uh, Mm -hmm. cribs, bassinets, those kinds of things, um, that practical support that they need. So I run that program, so I hook up mentors um, with hookup. That's not a good word, is it? <laughs> I connect. I connect the mentors uh, with the clients. I try to pick personalities that gel. Mm-hmm. And each week they meet with their mentor for about an hour. And uh, we go over everything from eating right while you're pregnant to how to feed your baby after and all of those things that, that are very practical And then uh, along with that, those mentors are spiritually mentoring them as well. So they, some of them even actually want to do Bible studies. And it's really cool right now. I think every single, we have only two clients out of, I think, the seven that are currently going through it right now who are not doing a Bible study. And that's voluntary. I mean, they, they, we offer it. And so that's really cool to have. Five yeah. people right now going through Bible studies. 
also in that Bible study, they would have the camaraderie of other moms in the same situation? So they are just meeting one-on-one. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we do have workshops where it's more of a classroom situation, um, and we do like labor and delivery and um, breastfeeding, those kinds of things mm-hmm. in the workshops, and we have a, a registered nurse who is wonderful, who actually is a labor and delivery nurse and a lactation consultant. Ay, ay, ay. she, yeah, she is amazing spitfire and she comes in and she leads that class so there are class situations but the mentoring uh the beauty in mentoring i think is that they can ask any dumb question uh, Mm -hmm. and not feel intimidated by others in the room so i tell them that go you can just ask these mentors anything you want it can be really stupid and they're not going to laugh at you and so there's just kind of a freedom in that and it takes away the fear and anxiety of, okay, I'm, I don't even know the Bible. I don't know anything mm-hmm. about it. I don't know who Jesus is. And they get to come in and, and ask those questions. And yeah. And some of them do have church backgrounds. It's not like they're totally naive to any, to the Bible, but some of them have never cracked open a Bible too. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of cool. So how many how many people are coming in in the average month? That's a really good question. I'm not good at stats because that's not my job. <laughs> so <laughs> um, we have gone. So when I started in 95, 96, we were seeing 40 to 60 clients a month, which wow. is a lot, right? Yeah. But that was in the day when pregnancy tests were 20 bucks, 25 bucks. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And so um, now they can get them at the dollar store. And so we saw in probably around, I would say, 2006 or seven when those dollar store tests came out, that there were less and less clients coming in. And so, so we're seeing probably, I would say, we're only open for pregnancy testing twice a week right now. And I think probably we're averaging six to seven clients a week for pregnancy tests. And then one, one day a week is earn while you learn week. And we have, or earn while you learn day. And that we're seeing, I think we've got seven right now in the program. We've got couples coming. And so we do have a male staff member who meets with the guys, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. So he's there for pregnancy test days too, but he's also a really great mentor. I think that's actually where he shines. Yeah. So, yeah. So are most of the women coming in alone or are they coming in with boyfriends? It's a real trend that's changing. We're seeing a lot more boyfriends come in. Wow. That's really good news. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Boyfriends and husbands, some of them are married, but yeah. It's, and so, you know, I think God just saw beforehand, we, we switched over, I think 2017, we hired our first, you know, before we relied on mentor, uh, volunteers, male Mm -hmm. volunteers. And that's really hard because they work, they work and they aren't just available when you have, you know, a guy would walk in, he's Mm -hmm. looking at they're looking at abortion. He does, he's sitting out in the waiting room. We don't have a guy for him. I can't just call, you know, Bob or whoever. Right. Mm -hmm. And have him just show up. 
And so we really needed someone who would be there and be on call. And I kind of call Taylor's our um, current men's ministry director. <laughs> I call him our, he's, he's kind of like the fireman in the firehouse, <laughs> just waiting for the call sometimes. Yeah. Thankfully, he keeps himself, he does other things very well, techie and that kind of thing. So he keeps things running. But but the, the, seeing that trend and God providing ahead of time mm-hmm. for that, because I think I would say we, for it, over half of them bring guys with them, maybe. That's really good yeah. news. Yeah. So what do the dads think of everything? Are they generally leaning towards abortion? Are they just there to be supportive with the lady? Yeah, it's usually whatever she wants kind of thing. Okay. And they think that's really helpful, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, girls need somebody to help them. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's kind of what what Taylor's there for. He is really able to to ask them what they want, and and sometimes like she's the one that really doesn't want the baby, and he's the one that wants the baby. Yeah, that's really sad. Yeah, so yeah, so they mm-hmm. there's they're sometimes they're not on the same page, and so we have that opportunity to to talk to them individually and then as a couple. Yeah. So, so what are some of the specific things that Taylor does to help out the dads? So those looking at abortion or the girlfriends looking at abortion, he's able to really talk to them about uh, what it is to be a dad and, and what it means to be a man. And so he's able to, to talk to them about what, you know, we're not ever dismissing issues when it comes to why are, is a woman or a man seeking abortion. I mean, they're really huge issues. Financial, um, just not ready. They're in school. They can't tell their parents. I mean, there's there's lots of issues around it. And so actually listening to what their concerns are, what their fears are, and then being able to, to give some insight into that. Well, yeah, that's a really valid concern. Um, but have you considered that in four years, that really isn't going to matter. Or how are you going to feel in five years? Or how are you going to feel even six months from now? And so not making these rash decisions. And a lot of times that's really what abortion is, is so available and so well known as an option that they run out. They just think, well, I've just got to go do this. I don't want to think about it. I don't want anybody to talk to me about it. I just need to get it done kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And so helping them to stop and really hear what they want and what they're um, thinking and then able to really address those things. And that's just that kind of counseling part of it. But there's also the practical part of it. You know, for guys, it's like they know they have to grow up and they, a lot of them really are, they're out of work or they're going to school or they're going to school part-time and they're looking for a job. And Taylor really talks to them about what it means to be a provider and and to be a man and to support her and and so he's really great at find at helping them put together resumes and mm-hmm. get on indeed and you know <laughs> he's just he really is a practical guy and and because he is a dad too and he's young he's not super old um is he even 30 yet he's not even 30 yet yeah 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 so he looks way older he looks <laughs> <laughs> and he talks like he's old he, too. yes yes he's very He's an interesting guy. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I think our clients think he's much older than he is. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. Just, that probably is helpful. It, it, it is. Kind of feels like a dad is yeah. coming around. Yeah. And then they find out, wait, you're like 27. Yeah. Yeah. Every <laughs> once in a while, 
Taylor, I rem- I'm reminded how young he is. <laughs> like, I want to tell him to go clean up his room or something, you know. It's like, but uh, yeah, he's he's really able to address that where we as women can't. And I think the men really respond to another man, you know. Sure. And sometimes they walk in and they're like, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't, you know, and they, they're kind of like shocked that we have somebody for them, mm-hmm. you know. And so we now well, are... uh, right now everything in the culture is all about the woman yeah like if you're a man just shut up yep you don't, yeah you don't have a uterus so you don't have to say and it's like uh well it takes two to tango and mm-hmm. you know and so i think it's really cool that that um i i i do think hope pregnancy center is cutting edge i think we've always been sitting on the edge of eastern oregon we've done a lot of innovative things and yeah. you know, so I think it's really cool. Yeah. Do you find that the ultrasounds really will change minds most? I would think that's the most effective way. I really, you know, it's interesting because I really thought, Oh shoot, everybody will see that baby and mm-hmm. no way, no way would they go through with an abortion after seeing, you know, that little flickering heartbeat, but it tells you it's a spiritual battle because you know, they can see that and still just wall themselves off to that that's a that's a baby, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yes, it has had significant impact on quite a few lives. But it, the hardest thing is watching those who do see it and still choose abortion. Mm-hmm. So it's not a it's not a guarantee that if they have no have a, an ultrasound that that they will choose life and choose to carry. But yeah, but it does. It helps. I mean, for those kind of waffling, I think it's huge. You know, for those that are like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And they get in there and they see that and they're like, okay, okay. Yeah, that's, that's life. And I can do this. And, and they really take courage of, okay, I, I can do this. And with help, I can do this. Is it more on the young end of women or is it really the age over? range? Yeah. It's all over. It really, it's like... I think the youngest we've seen, oh, our stats person will probably tell me I'm off. I think 11 is the youngest. Yeah, that's very, very rare. Very, very rare. Uh, Yeah, very, yeah, common, right? So, but that's the low end, and I think we've seen them up into, you know, 50s. That's (laughs) shocking. Yeah, yeah. That's shocking. Yeah, but those are those rare cases. So, but the median, you know, you're right around that 20-year you know, give or take two or three years. Do people ever put their kids up for adoption? So let me tell you one of the things. So when people say put them up for adoption, I will always tell them, say, make an adoption plan (laughs) (laughs) rather than put them up for adoption. That comes from the orphan trains. I don't know if you knew that. Uh -uh. Everyone says put them up for adoption, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Children are put up for adoption. It's because the orphan trains would come through and they would put children up on the train. And people would come and grab an orphan for their farm. (laughs) And so, so, yeah. So anyway, I always tell people, if you can remove a couple of things from your vocabulary, it's like, so how many children or how many clients make an adoption plan or choose adoption or parent through adoption. That's a better way. Um, so very, very few. It is so low. Abigail is so sad and it's nationwide. It's nationwide. Um, 
the percentage is less than 1% will mm-hmm. choose. So it's around 20,000 women um, in the United States, 20 to 23,000 women will choose for an infant adoption. So this is not foster mm-hmm. adoption. This is like they're going to have a baby. They don't know what to do. So it's, I think the percentage now is that if a, out of 100 women, 50... Three, let me see if I can get my math right. I think 53 will choose abortion. 49 will parent. So how many does that leave? Is that over 100? That's over 100. That's over 100. So it must be 50. <laughs> it must be, yeah, it's like half and half. And like only one? Yeah. One out of 100 might. or less than one? I think it's like, it's. I, I should have had my stats in front of me, but... Um, I just talked to a guy from um, an adoption agency and he was talking about that, that it's actually adoption is going down even more. I mean, it went down. I mean, at at its peak was 70, 1970, before Roe v. Wade was the peak mm. because mm-hmm. there wasn't, that wasn't a legal option and, you know, women would, you know, be whisked away to Aunt Matilda's in Kansas for nine months and have a baby and suddenly come home and, you know, and so it was, it was very hush hush. It was closed adoptions. Um, and, and that really wasn't a great way to do adoption. We're finding that open adoption is much better. And, but it's not an option that a lot of women choose now because if they choose to carry, um, they have a lot more support. It's, there's a lot less stigma associated Mm -hmm. with being a single mom than it was in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And so you just see it's just not, you know, and, and plus our culture doesn't like to be uncomfortable. Our, our culture, people in general do not want to choose hard things. Mm-hmm. And adoption is a very hard thing. It's not an easy thing. Um, parenting is a very, very hard, but they don't see that right off. The, you know, the emotional trauma associated with adoption is huge. It is huge. I mean, we can't deny that you are going to go through a very hard grieving loss, but it's not unbearable and it's not something you can't ever overcome. It's just, you need a lot of counseling and support. And, and I think open adoption provides that knowledge that your child's doing well. And open adoption really is there's some contact, Mm -hmm. there's pictures or letters or sometimes some visitation. um, If it's a super open adoption where the birth mom is involved with their child and so so I think all of those factors play into why adoption is not a huge um, choice yeah I think it would be really hard to do adoption because your body has so many natural responses and instincts to take care of the baby that without the baby I think it would be really confusing yeah you are definitely I mean there's I the longer the older I get the more I see how much bonding takes place and how incredible that bond is in the womb. And so, so to, to have to really, you know, again, it's a severing. I mean, you give life to that child. You're a, you are a mom, you're a birth mom. You'll always be a mom, um, but you don't have that child with you. And so, um, so women that choose that really are strong women. I mean, they really are strong women. They have a real belief that, that that child deserves life um, and that child deserves, you know, a lot of times it's because they want two parents and there's not another parent 
Um, I see that a lot. That, that That's a really big driving force is they want two parents who are ready to nurture a baby, you know, that point in their life, ready to nurture a baby. So one of the big reasons for abortion is like, well, what if the mom's poor? Yeah. Is that, do you find that a lot of the people coming in are really low income? You know, I always say that finances in America should never determine that, you know, because there's just, there's so much support financially for, you know, I mean, medically they can have the baby. I mean, it's, that's not medical bills are not, I mean, they're there, but if you're a low income, you, you have that paid for. So, so for those who are in financial distress, I, you know, we always look at there's, there are, it, it will be hard. I mean, we all struggle financially at some point in our life, usually, unless you're, you know, born to Bill Gates or, (laughs) but it's, it's really one of those things that if, if she really wants to parent a child, there are resources available to help her with that. And, and it's not easy. I mean, it's not, not that we're saying, oh yeah, just stay, stay in that poverty level. We, we really want to encourage them to, to get out of that. And, um, but it's, I don't think it's a, as big of a thing as a lot of people point to. Now, other people argue pro-choice will say, well, it it's children shouldn't be born to poor people. Well, that's really, you know, in our day. <laughs> just think about what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, just think through that one. You know, it's like, well, because that child's not going to have a rich parent or a middle-class parent, they don't deserve yeah. life. I'm like, let's follow that logic through to the end, and it doesn't make sense. So do you guys only care that the woman carries a baby to term, and then you just kind of leave them be afterwards? Well, that's what a lot of people accuse us of, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so absolutely not. So I think um, one of the, the fallacies out there, the myths around pregnancy centers, are, oh, you just care about the woman, you don't care about the baby, you don't care about them once they're born. Um, obviously our earn lay learn program is helping them through that pregnancy, helping them and through that first few years. And, you know, our, our hope is that they get plugged in to community, whether that's through a church or whether that's through community programs, but places where they can receive, you know, guidance, receive just that support that they need as moms, you know, our, our area is kind of lacking in that. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's just rural towns don't have a lot of those, but um, our churches are available and we really do like to work with churches to, to get women, families plugged in. I hate that there is that belief out there because, and it's true, the church does drop the ball a lot. I'm hoping that the true church is really stepping up where they need to be. I hope yeah. so. So... The whole pregnancy center is just like there's one branch, right? Or or are there multiples? So we are independent in the sense of we're not, um, we don't have other centers, but there are similar sister centers throughout the nation. Mm-hmm. So there's, Are they just called crisis pregnancy centers yeah, generally? Really crisis pregnancy is a kind of a 90s term. Okay. Um, so mo- during the 2000s, they kind of moved to pregnancy resource centers, Mm -hmm. pregnancy clinics, pregnancy care centers. 
So we, we looked at Hope Pregnancy Center just because it was easy to not have an extra resource or care or whatever. But, uh, but they found that is it's kind of funny that crisis, like people didn't like to admit they were in a crisis. So they removed that. Even oh, how though, interesting. Even though they would totally describe themselves as being in a crisis. <laughs> so, so we don't want you assuming I'm in a crisis. Yeah. So. Yeah. So don't you? tell me that I'm in a crisis, even though I am in a crisis. But so, but there are, so we have, there's three or four umbrella organizations in the United States um, that, that help, uh, that have affiliates. So um, we're with CareNet, which is the largest one, and they have like 1,200 affiliates throughout the nation. And they offer training and legal help and um, resources, educational resources, that kind of thing. So oversight to pregnancy centers, governing policies and procedures, that kind of thing. We're also with NIFLA. It's another organization that helps pregnancy centers more on the medical legal side so um, and they're great because they offer so much guidance to to pregnancy centers to make sure that they are functioning in integrity and and that's what the other side is accused pregnancy centers of as being misleading or offering medical services by non-medical people mm-hmm. which if you are you know, following the guidelines and the policies and procedures, you're not going to be doing that. Like I'm not a medical person, so I don't share medical information ever. Mm-hmm. So the nurse does that. Yeah. So those are those myths that are out there that, that I always, if I have an opportunity to dispel a myth, I will dispel a myth. So we would welcome the other side to come in and look at our policies and procedures and to look at the actual information that we send home with a client they would not find any fault in that. I guarantee it. Have you gotten pro-abortion people coming in and protesting? We have not had any protesters, praise the Lord. We have had um, fake clients. Oh, yeah. how so, interesting. Yeah. How did yeah. you find that out? Uh, well, they want to come in and dig dirt. And so um, they will call and... Usually we screen them on the phone. You can kind of tell because they, they, they're going from a script and they're trying to get you to say something as a non-medical person that would be medical Hmm. and record you and go, Oh, Hey, see this person said this and gave this statistic out or gave this information out and they, that's wrong. That's not medical. That's not factual. So we get them on the phone and then sometimes they do try to come in and and do that. And you can kind of tell that, but you know, if we're following our policies and procedures, we treat them just like any client and we're not going to get caught up because we're doing things the way we're supposed to. Are these people at least pregnant so that they have something? No, no, they aren't even necessarily. No, no. And then we have had, um, Oh, we've had dirty notes left in the door and glitter bombs sent through the mail and, you know, just intimidating mm. type things. So it's a glitter bomb. That's going to make us <laughs> yes, stop. Yes. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. So if anyone listening, so a lot of the listeners here are local. Yeah. So should somebody want to actually volunteer, mm-hmm. what do you have? as far as volunteer stuff? So volunteer positions, anything that is client contact, which would be our client advocates 
who are actually client advocates are the ones who actually do the options counseling when a woman comes in. Um, and then we have client mentors, which I run. That's where they actually are going through um, the material, the parenting and prenatal material. So those are two options um, that are client contact. Um, we do have receptionists who answer the phones and they, they also need the volunteer training. And um, those are really the three huge areas of um, volunteering that we need that and that's a very special calling to do that but most people start with our volunteer training which is like an 18-hour training um, in the center and they learn about everything about the center and and our philosophy of ministry and um, and then they kind of decide from there what if they're if that's really where the lord wants them to go yeah mm-hmm. Do you find that you need more volunteers and workers or more money? (laughs) (laughs) Depends on, you know, during COVID, it's been interesting because uh, we, we saw a lot of volunteers that we had to have them step out because they are older or immune compromised and that kind of thing. So we've really relied heavily on our staff and staff are paid. So, Mm. um, so we do, you know, this year, especially we have needed more money, um, because we needed to just keep our, we, we really operated on a bare bones, um, staff and crew. So we didn't have a lot of volunteers in. It was just mainly those who were employed at the center. So money was important. So I'm hoping in the next couple of years when hopefully this crazy stuff ends, we will have our volunteers back and we will need more volunteers as well. Gotcha. Yeah. So how, where would my listeners go to donate? So our website is hpcontario.com and they can click on the donate there. So yeah. Awesome. I'll have all of that in the show notes so it'll be easy to click on. Awesome. Is there anything else that you want to mention as far as the Hope Pregnancy Center that I missed? Let me think. Uh, our, we do have a nurse, a registered nurse. And so with our registered nurse, uh, we do have to pay her mm-hmm. money. So um, I, that when you asked about money, we, we, money. we need money for our nurse. Uh, we can't do what we do without her. Mm-hmm. And um, so that is an important position. Our position is important that we have funding for her. I, I always tell our director and like just don't pay me just pay her you know um because we can't i I can keep volunteering and and that kind of thing but that's an important thing so yeah would it be helpful if you had another nurse we actually yeah we um do need volunteer nurses who will fill in for her and and um our volunteer nurses that we have now some of them actually work at hospitals and so they don't have you know, all the time in the world. So if they can, they volunteer and we're so appreciative of that. And so, yeah, we do, Mm -hmm. we need more volunteer nurses. So how do you think we could go about changing the culture to make abortion not such an easy quote unquote option? If I could answer that, I would get a million dollars, I'm sure. (laughs) It's the question of the century, right? To make it less desirable. You know, the older I get and the longer I've been at the center, I will tell you, it is such a spiritual battle. And, And 
I know people in the secular will not totally get this, but, but it's true that abortion is a plan of Satan. It really is because it is an attack on the, the image of God. You know, mm-hmm. Satan can't take God out, mm-hmm. but he can take his image bearers out and he can take down the people, the women and the men who choose that down because it never, ever leads to a better future for them. It's a mm-hmm. different future, but it's not a better future because there's no blessing in that. There's, there's, there's life ends. And so, um, I think as believers, truly true believers, they really need to get a hold of what, it, what abortion is. And then also get a hold of the fact that the woman is the one who chooses and, and she has to make that decision. No one else can make that. We don't manipulate her. We don't tell her, oh, if I were you, I'd do this. We just tell her, this is what abortion is. These are the ramifications of that. Can you live with that? And so we, you know, we as believers need to love her and not dismiss her, dismiss her fears, dismiss her circumstances. And so if we can provide and step up and say, I'm going to walk with you, not just through the pregnancy and not through the first couple of years, but I want to walk through this, you know, as, as this child grows and, and help you. And so then it's like, what are the obstacles then that I've got support? I, you know, and a lot of women will say, if I just had one person to support me, I could do this. Mm. And so, uh, if the church would, you know, say, we're going to, we're going to adopt a, a young woman. We're going to be with her. We're going to fix her car when it breaks down. And then the church also in helping men step up and be men. And so I think if that co- developing a culture of life, um, really starts with the church. And so I would say, understand what abortion is, understand who she is and what she's really feeling and what she's really facing. And then how can we meet that where she is and introducing her to Jesus Christ? Because it's hard. Parenting is hard. Single parenting is hard. And so if we can give her hope when she leaves, that's, that's what we're there for. So I wish that abortion wasn't around, but I think it will be for a long time. Even if Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. is overturned, it's still going to be around. It'll go to the States. And so, yeah, yeah, it's here. It's here for the long haul. So I think about this almost weekly, that Satan really has a game in this abortion and in just babies dying all around, he seems to have. Yeah. He seems to, like, have his finger somewhat on the pulse that knowing something big is happening and trying to nip it before it can yeah. happen. So if you think of the Israelites in Egypt, you know, they needed somebody to come rescue them. And what do you know, they are killing all of the babies to try to, you know, they you could say it was to keep the population down or it could you say it was trying to keep whatever leader from coming up right. to save them, to be Moses, you know. And then you have, you know, when the kings, uh, Josiah, I can't remember who his dad was, but somebody comes in, they just try to take out the entire line of David. And right. then somebody saves this baby, Josiah, 
to keep the line of David alive. And then even you get to Jesus. Right. And Herod's just like, kill all the babies. Right. One of them's Jesus, I'm sure. Just kill them all. Yeah. So I feel like Satan has a big hand. And Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a picture. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How can just everyday Christians work to change the culture of abortion? It's a really good question. Kind of, as I said, just really understanding. If you truly understand that, don't have the attitude I had that pro-life is for some people, but that's not for me. Because, you know, you look at just the history you just gave about Satan's plan and how he it's, he's always attacked children and families. Mm-hmm. And so I think an everyday church person that says, well, that's great for Raquel to do or, you know, Abigail to be involved in, but I have this to do. Um, they're missing the whole point that it, it really is the gospel because wrapped in the gospel is the, the redemption, right? That, that, you know, we are born sinners <laughs> and Christ has come to redeem us. And so, you know, that, the, the fact that we get to be involved from when, when it says that God created man and that he's, that in, you know, in Psalm, it talks about, you know, in my mother's womb, he was knit, I was fearfully and wonderfully made and all of those things really talks about God creates people for a reason, for a purpose. And so that's God's plan. We should all be in part of God's plan of making sure that what he has made comes to life. And then we get to proclaim the gospel to this little one. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's, it's not just, you know, pro-life for some people, um, cause God's pro-life, you know? And so we can't just relegate it to a niche ministry because everyone around us is affected by this. I don't know anybody who hasn't been affected by abortion. And so, I, I'm hopeful that people are talking about it more. And so in talking about it, saying, okay, you know what? I, I, I'm not called to be in there talking to women, right? I, I, that's not my thing. I'm not, you know, I'm not that kind of, but, um, but I can give financially or I can help at their fundraisers or I can go clean or, you know, because all of those things are important. Like I can't go to work if I go in and the lights don't turn on because we haven't paid the power bill Mm -hmm. and that door opens, I I told people that I can unlock that door because somebody bought that door lock for the center. Mm -hmm. And so she's coming in that door because you provided for her. So you're in there with me ministering. It's not that you're actually there, but I couldn't be there without that support. And so just finding where you can play and it may be, once a year, you give a small amount. If that's what you're called to, maybe you've got other ministries you're, you're involved in, and that's great. I donate to a lot of different ministries. And so just finding how you can be a part and, and be part of that solution instead of just saying, well, abortion's terrible. They shouldn't do it. Those girls are wrong in doing that. They're sinners, whatever. And going, you know what? How can I help her to think that abortion is the unthinkable thing and that she can choose the hard thing that can be the most blessed thing, which is life and to nurture that life. And so be part of that solution, whether it's small or big, 
there's there's room for everybody <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah but i don't know this side of heaven uh i think you know satan's got a plan and it will it will continue and we will continue to battle and that's what we're here for i will ask my closing question okay which is um do you prefer the office or parks and rec i knew you were going to ask this because I listen to your podcast <laughs> and I still haven't come up with a great answer. So if I were, I had to think, okay, if I were stuck on a desert Island and I could only pick one, I would probably pick the office. Okay. Um, only, but you know, Ron Swanson makes my heart happy and I could quote Ron Swanson all day. So, you know, you know, my nephew, Brayden. Yes. He is Ron. Yes. <laughs> the beauty of Parks and Rec, in light of everything going on in the nation right now, to have a Leslie Nope and a Ron Swanson yeah. as friends. Yeah. Huge, right? I mean, that, yeah. that should be our model, you know? I mean, like, yeah. I think if the government people all were like Leslie. I mean, everyone would try to spend so much money. But she has such a pure heart about it. She does. That if everyone was like that, I would be so much more big government. But (laughs) I think more people are like Tom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, like, the episode where she, like, tries to fulfill everybody's complaints, you know, or, like, take care of, like, the, was it the slugs on the sidewalk episode? Everything. I'm like... Or she comes in, she's been cleaning the river. You know, I'm like, yeah, if all of our, if, if I won't say names, but higher government officials would strap on some waiters and get down and clean out the pollution out of our rivers. Yeah. I mean, that would say a lot, And right? not necessarily call the press first. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is Genesis 1 through 11 history or legend? Oh, Abigail. So I would say history, but not like history, like, because no one was there. Right. But God and, right, mm-hmm. that's still around. So I will say history, but not necessarily like. A textbook. Textbook history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think that there are aliens? I don't think there are aliens. Who or what inspires you to be your best self? Well, the obvious question is Jesus, but my husband, definitely, because he's like the most obnoxiously disciplined person in the whole world. I was going to say, is it the worst to be married to him sometimes? Sometimes. I'm just like, could you, yeah, could you like sleep in and be a sloth and yeah, just not read your Bible and (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, he's very, um, no, but he's not like, like he doesn't make you feel bad. It's just when he's, when you live with a disciplined person, you want to be, you know, and he, he loves to put challenges in front of them, you know, make goals and actually try to reach the goals. And like me, make goals and like, oh, wow that was my goal (laughs) and didn't come through with that so yeah but he is definitely a great guy to be married to so thank you 
thanks for doing this. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me.